Well, our hope, our only hope, is that He is by our side, amen? And He's in front of us, leading us, and He's behind us, keeping guard of our back, amen? Protecting us, guiding us, isn't that wonderful? And blessing us. So we're going to continue this uh, series that I started uh, two or three weeks ago on being a servant of God. Today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. So I'm going to have you stand with me as I read it, and then we'll kind of see what we can do with this this morning, how we can break this apart and understand what God is saying to us, what Jesus was communicating to his disciples, not just those original first century disciples, but his still original and 21st century disciples. Amen? So here's what uh, the text says. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ra as a ransom for many. That's the, pa the passage this morning. Let let's pray for the sermon this morning, and let's see uh, what we can do with this. Uh, uh, this passage that the Lord has given us. Father, we ask you to bless our time together. And my prayer, Lord, uh, of course, is that it be you that is speaking through me. It be the Holy Spirit, Lord, that is dealing with each one of our hearts and opening our eyes and our ears to hear what it is that you would say to us this morning. Our prayer, Lord, is that we would leave today with a greater understanding and a willingness and a desire, Lord, to be better and to... Go forward, Lord, always with the mentality and with the um, will, Lord, in our hearts to serve you in whatever way, Lord, you ask us to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I kind of thought of kind of the original intent here uh, of the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is James and John, by the way. Um, she's asking for her sons to have special status. You know? She's asking for Jesus to give them 
a special promotion or advancement. You know, and there's nothing really wrong necessarily with wanting to advance and wanting to be promoted. Except that she's thinking and they're thinking the way the world thinks. And that's not what Jesus is all about. They obviously in their journeys with them in their discipleship hadn't learned yet that Jesus is the kind of leader that leads by humility, not authority, although he has it. So he's teaching him. So the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him and asked with her sons, if you go to the other Gospels, the sons are the only ones mentioned. In this passage, there's a little bit more detail. And I'm convinced that, of course, the mom wants to see with much pride her sons lifted up to this position, uh, the status, if you would. And in this particular passage, it's as if though they ask mom to go ahead of them. But they're there also. And what does she want? Well, she, she's making it, what I would say is quite an ambitious request. It's rather bold, to be honest with you. Um, we want you to um, uh, do this, ask you to do something for me. And there's nothing wrong with that at all in asking the Lord for something. But the, what they ask for is rather ambitious. She, she wants them to have these prominent positions... Right? In the messianic kingdom to come. He wants them to have this special place in the cabinet, if you would, of the president or maybe be the secretary of state or maybe be the secretary of the treasury. We know a little bit about that when someone new comes in to power in our country. We want to be close to the one that's leading. Right? Right hand left hand. Why, why does she mention that? Well, this is uh, suggesting proximity to the, the king, in this case the leader, and not just proximity. We, we want to be near to Christ in his coming kingdom, but we also want his prestige and power. We want all the benefits of being in that position. That's what, they're, that's what she's asking for them and what they're asking also and desiring. So let's talk a little bit about the seating arrangement in the kingdom of God. Uh, Sam and I like to go every now and then to, you know, baseball game and or, I don't know, basketball game I've gone to. And it's always about one thing. How close can I get to where the action is? Right? And you'll notice, and those of you that use apps like StubHub, if you wait long enough, and as long as it doesn't sell out, if you wait long enough that you start seeing as the event gets closer, the prices start dropping. So I've learned to wait. Sometimes I'm just standing outside the stadium watching my phone and the prices will go down to half because now the people who own these tickets, what? What are they trying to do? They're trying to get something out of it. But the idea here is the better the seats, the better the experience. Well, the disciples are thinking in the same way. They're, they're, they're jockeying 
for seating arrangements in the kingdom of God. That's ambitious. And that's the way the world operates. And what we're going to see from the life of Christ, and he's going to use his own life, his own example to, for us to see how it works. So what I would say that it, one of the things that we have to, to do in order to learn something new is we have to unlearn something we should have never learned. And they say in the circles of behavioral science that you have to do something habitually, I believe it's somewhere in the 20s, at least 20 times for it to become a new habit or a new form of thinking. So here they are asking Jesus for this, these positions, these prominent, prestigious positions in the kingdom, and the Lord has something to say about whether or not we should be striving for or desiring that kind of authority or position in the, in the kingdom to come. He says, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? He said in verse 22. And then they seemed too quick, in my opinion, to answer. And they said, we're able. Yeah. We're able to drink the cup. And so Jesus recognizes that they really didn't understand what it is that they were asking for. The cup of Jesus refers to his suffering. The cup of Jesus refers to his death. We even drink the cup at the Lord's Supper, referring to the blood that was shed at Calvary's cross. Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to die for the kingdom and for the will of the Father? And they, as I said, inexperienced. They're young in their walk. They're, they're, they're just learning. They go, we are. We can do it. And it's Jesus understands what's going on. And I think sometimes we need to be a little less quick to say that we get it all and understand what the commitment really is that the Lord's asking of us. I like the, what James says when it comes to planning. He says that we, we should do, instead of saying, oh, we're going to go do this and that and this city and then the other city and gain and profit. He says it's better to say, if the Lord will, we'll do this and that and the other thing. In a in a spirit of humility and understanding how much of His grace we're going to need to be able to go through the things that He's requiring us to go through. This walk is not easy, church. And those of you that have been doing it for a while know that. When you stand for Christ, you're going to have opposition. And there's going to be, in this case, we're going to see when He speaks of the cup, there's going to be suffering. And there is, with these two, James and John, James, for instance, was the first martyr among the disciples. And that's why Jesus says, you will drink my cup. And then John, uh, of no fault of his own, known as the last apostle, 
He's the only one to not die through martyrdom, even though it wasn't from a lack of trying. He was boiled in a pot of oil and survived and thrown onto the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. So John and, and uh, James both suffered and one actually drank the same cup that is died. And John, who knows that he may have died sooner had it not been for the fact that he was thrown into a cauldron of hot boiling oil. But God wanted him to write that book first. So when they said, hey, we're able to drink the cup, they really didn't know what they were talking about. And Jesus knows that. They don't. And there's a lot of things when it comes to being a servant. We don't know what's coming up. But we have to be secure and confident in this one thing. That we're desiring to fill the will of the Father. What was Jesus even doing there? There was a plan that was designed, that was spoken of, according to the book of Revelation, according to the Old Testament, before the foundation of the earth, that Jesus would be the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus comes to earth in His incarnation. He comes as a servant Fulfilling two purposes. The need of mankind for a Savior. And the need of the Father to have that Lamb that's worthy to die for the sins of the world. So He's first fulfilling and serving the purposes of His Father. And He's also coming to fulfill the need that we have. Remember the first week of this series? How I talked about when the disciples were going to pray. Peter saw a man who was without the ability to walk, paralyzed from birth, and they, he's asking for money. And of course, uh, I believe Peter and John, they said, uh, well, silver and gold have we none, but that which we have I give you in the name of Jesus. And they said, get up and walk. But we can only give what we have, but in doing so and serving, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be a price. Because then we're identifying with Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Then he goes on to say at the rest of verse 23. But to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant. But it is for those. That is whoever's going to sit at my right hand and my left hand. It's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. The father has prepared everything for us. Are you thinking about your ministry? Your, how it is that you serve? Are you thinking about what it means to live for Christ. Everything's already prepared by the Father. You don't have to worry about it. You just have to be willing. Let me say that one again because I can see how excited you guys are. <laughs> you don't have to worry about what it is. You only have to be willing. You only have to say, Lord, use me as an instrument for your purposes. And then He will. But he won't until he knows your heart is in the right place. See, the Lord knows our hearts, doesn't he? He knows us. He knows what our real intentions are and desires are of our hearts. And he's looking for that one. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth looking for the one heart, for the one whose mind, whose heart is, is looking at Christ, is, is sold out to Christ. So the Jesus in this verse 
where he says it's not mine to grant who's going to sit on my left hand and my right hand. He's showing that he also was submissive to the Father. Hey, I don't have that authority to decide where you, who you guys are going to sit at the table. Well, that's interesting. Jesus was submissive. He couldn't even claim that he had the right to choose or the authority to choose how the Father's servants were going to be rewarded. But what he did is he yielded to the Father. So when it comes for blessings, when it comes for position, when it comes to serving the Lord, we just should yield to the Father's will. It's a tough prayer. Because we always want to have input, don't we, about what our lives or what's happening around us. Am I the only one? <laughs> Can you say, and it takes a time to learn how to, and there's nothing wrong with letting the Lord know all of your burdens and concerns, and for you to maybe at some level analyze your circumstances and the situation that you believe you're in, at least how you perceive it from your own experience. You may be living through something and you have something to say to the Lord and He's willing to listen. But at the end of the day, I think every prayer should be like Jesus's when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane facing the passion that was and the suffering that was to come. And he said, you know, Father, let, the, the, the flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Who, can we reach a place as servants, as disciples of the Lord, as believers, where we just simply leave everything and all matters in God's hands and say, Lord, I want your will to be done. Yikes. That means you're surrendering and giving it all up to him. That means you no longer have control. Well, you never did, but you thought you did. You just simply say, not my will, Lord, but yours. Whatever that is. Have you done it? That's a complete surrender. That's 100% submission to the will of the king. The one we serve. That's the person the Lord can use. And Jesus is an example of that. Because he's headed one place. To the cross. And all that that entailed. So what Jesus is going to do now. Is he's going to use this as a teachable moment. Right Yolanda? There's those moments. Yolanda's a teacher too. In the public system. There are those moments where you go. Oh man, this is the perfect moment to teach. And their disciples were primed. They were ready after this first initial conversation. But you notice it's a conversation. It is a dialogue. It's never a monologue. It's never just us asking the Lord, asking the Lord, asking the Lord, telling the Lord what we want. It's always waiting also after we say what we say for Him to respond to us. Sometimes prayer requires that you just listen. And in this case, he says, uh, verse number, um, in number 24, this section, these next few verses that follow, Jesus is going to set forth what it truly means to be a great servant. Anybody here want to be a great servant for the king? This sermon is for you. Amen. 
When the ten, that is, remember it's the brothers who first go forward, James and John, and then the other ten, they, when they heard what they requested and what Jesus had replied, they were indignant at the two brothers. Seemed to me like maybe the two brothers had formed a little group. I mean, after all, it's your brother. You know? It's like if I would be serving the Lord alongside of my, my brother Dean or Eddie or David. And so we kind of form our little clique, if you would. Hey, let's go ask the Lord. Let's get kind of like a jump start. Let these other ten, you know, wait. They're kind of sleeping on the job. And what is it he says to them? They were indignant. And it's no doubt their response is not of humility. But it's more about jealousy and fear that they might lose out on something because the other two went ahead of them. The rest of the disciples are indignant, or indignant means angry. And what is it that they're angry about? That they got beat to the punch. What is it that they're angry about? That the other disciples are trying to get a jump start, and they were going to get the best seats in the kingdom. You beat me to the best seats because you went ahead of us. And of course, Jesus is seeing this. Look at that verse 24. He's seeing this. We don't need to worry about someone beating us to the punch. We don't need to be worried about someone is going to take my place or position because they can't. Because it's not ours to determine what that place or position is. See, nobody will ever be able to do what God designed and created you to be and to do. No one could ever take your gift away from you and your gift will make room for itself. Proverbs says the gift makes room for itself. So I don't have to be jealous and I don't have to be concerned uh, and, and fearful that someone's going to beat out to me uh, the position or the place that God has for me. There's room for all of us in the kingdom and specific and unique assignments that we can all have and enjoy and rejoice with the Lord in. And you know, sometimes as a pastor, some people, and the temptation exists that someone might say, well, I, if I were the pastor, uh, I would. Well, the problem with that is you're not the pastor. It's not your position, so it doesn't really matter. But the other one is, I would just say, come on up. Come on up. I will go ahead and sit down. You know what I mean by that, right? Try it. In other words, we have our own things to be concerned about. Remember when Jesus, after the resurrection, was talking to John and leaning into him, the apostle that, was, that loved him the most as far as John's gospel says because John wrote it and Peter was kind of like trying to listen in to the to the conversation and then uh, he asked uh, as Peter was concerned about what well what is it that John's getting and Jesus basically said hey what's that to you <laughs> it's kind of like that's not your business what I do with John because what is my business to be doing what God has called me to do with the gifts that he's given me 
And so I'm trying my hardest this morning to use the gifts that he's given me to break this down for you and just to say, hey, Lord, I gave the best I could to expose this passage so that your people, the congregation, could be lifted up and edified and then you can work with them in their hearts. So Jesus responds and he calls them in verse number 25. And he said to he called, to him, uh, he called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. So, lording over someone in the world system, the government lords over us or has authority, exercise authority over us. The American experiment being maybe one of those exceptions Although nowadays, who knows how much of that is left. Whether we're being lorded over now. Do they, the representatives and the senators and the president just doing whatever's, whatever the special interests paid them to do. We can talk about the corruption of government lording over us. But what we see here is Jesus says, that's not how it is among you. That's not how it's going to be. We don't lord over people. We don't exercise authority in the, with, with a strong hand, with a strong fist. Have you ever been told by your boss to do something and maybe you resisted and the next words out of their mouth was, well, you want to keep your job? That's called lording over you. This is the way it works in the world. Power is exercised and absolute power absolutely corrupts. But not in the kingdom of God. How does it work in God's kingdom? How does serving and authority work in God's kingdom? Through love. It's love. Because Jesus is going to tell them that if you desire position and status, then you're showing that you really don't understand what I'm doing. And why? You don't understand why I'm serve, how I'm serving you. First, because I'm fulfilling the will of the Father. Second, because I'm meeting a need that you have. And it's all motivated by one thing. Love. We serve through the motivation of love. And it's the agape love, which is unconditional. It never looks for what benefit we may have. It never counts the cost of what we gave. It doesn't have a spreadsheet where it's looking over credits and debits. Or saying, hey, I did this for you, so you should do this for me. It simply just gives without anything expected in return. That's the love of Christ. That's the love of God. And that's how we're to serve. Love. You will never regret it when you serve in love. Because you didn't do it for any other reason except that. Now, it shall not be so among you that is lording over them like the Gentiles or exercising authority over them like the Gentiles. It shall never be so among you. See, they didn't know the nature of Jesus' leadership. 
And so they're looking at how the principle of the world and they're trying to apply kingdom principles to God's people. You know, there are kingdom principles. There are certain rules or laws that exist in God's kingdom. And the central one is love. Yeah. God's people, it sh- with God's people, it should be different. Amen? So, it's real easy for us in the 20th century to try and find the substance and style of of the world and try to operate the the way the world does, but that should not be something that happens in the church. Our only motivation should be loving others. It's called othersness. Because that's what Jesus demonstrated. So then Jesus comes to, and this is really the sermon. All the other stuff I just did was to set this verse up. So we would have a way to interpret it. Right? But whoever would be great among you, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be first among in the kingdom of God, then you are to be a servant, and then he takes it even further, you're to be a slave. Didn't he say that? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And then verse 28, because you always say, Pastor, how is this done? Or where's the example? Show us some model. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that beautiful? It's very clear. So whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be last. The slave. That's what a slave was. The slave was the least important person in all of society. So in the kingdom, when it comes to our community and our fellowship, when it comes to status and money and popularity, those things should never be prerequisites for leadership here. Oh, our pastor is so popular. Yikes. Oh, our pastor is so funny. Funny looking and funny. I No, those are, those are things the world looks at, the prerequisites. It's humble service. That's the prerequisite for serving in his kingdom. And it was demonstrated and shown to us by Jesus' own ministry. And the problem is, when it comes to service... People or the world looks at service, they regard it not so much as a virtue, but they see it as a vice. If we're humble, they see it as a weakness. Imagine a slave being a leader. They couldn't get that. But we see Jesus, who is a servant. And he would take that service to the point of offering his life, sacrificing his life, motivated by love, fulfilling the will of the Father and the need of those he died for. He came to serve. I found something interesting in a commentary. Uh, One of my favorite pastors, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name is John Corson. He's from uh, Calvary Chapel. And he has a Bible commentary which I bought many years ago. And I was just reading through it last night or yesterday. He says, um, if you want to be great, 
Don't seek prominence. Seek service. Don't say, who's praying for me? Who cares about me? Ask instead, who can I serve and who can I pray for? And then he says, the servanthood means that what you will hear is, go here, do that, get me this. Oh, there's paper out there on the lawn, could you go get it for me? Put it in the trash. Oh, somebody was, was on, jumped over the fence and there, there's some trash in the corner over here. Could you go pick it up? I'm going to go pick it up. When they treat you like a servant, when they're telling you, go do this, go do that, when they're saying to you, go there, then you now are fulfilling what it means to be a servant in the kingdom of God. And guess what? When they treat you like a servant, that's a good indication. And when you feel like one, then you've entered into the arena of servanthood. Because it requires humility, doesn't it? We're willing to do whatever it takes to reach the lost. We're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the ministries of this church are healthy and flowing freely to the community around us and also the discipleship requirement that we have to grow and edify in Christ. We're willing to do whatever it takes. Never looking at ourselves, kind of like the book written by uh, um, Brian Piccolo, a movie called I, uh, I Am Third. He played alongside of Gail Sayers at Chicago Bears. I think it was the late 60s and early 70s. And he said, I am third. Who's first? God. Who's second? Family. And I am third. I like that concept from the very beginning because you, we're nothing when it comes to serving. Others are, the Lord is first. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And then Others are second, and we're third. That's what Jesus was saying here. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, he was the king of the universe. He came not to be served, but to serve. And how did he do it? In what way did he demonstrate service? Giving his life as a ransom for many. Real ministry is always done for the benefit of those being ministered to and never for the benefit of the one ministering. Right? A lot of people come into ministry to see what they can receive, either materially or emotionally, from the people that they're ministering to instead of what they can give to them. I can promise you that after many years of serving there are people who are just coming to see what they can get. Well, my ministry, I pray by God's mercy and help, is that we would learn that when it comes to ministry and serving the Lord, it's based on what you can give. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And he's not just talking about money. Amen? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Right? See, he never received anything from others. 
His life was one of pure giving and giving of his life a ransom. What does it mean that he gave a ransom? He paid the penalty of death for our sins. That's what it's talking about. So that we could be purchased and freed from the slavery of sin. The idea here is that he paid the price. That's why he cried out on the cross when he uh, uh, concluded his ministry. He said, it is finished, which is the word tetelestai in Greek, meaning paid in full. He paid the price for us. The greatest gift ever offered. And it was all done serving the will of the Father. So, Jesus came to serve. And so my prayer as a church is that we have that same attitude. We make the same sacrifice for the glory of God, all motivated by what? Why will we do this? I can't hear you, Sarah. Say it out loud, it's okay. Love. Love. I love you. Jesus loves you. That's even more important. And we love each other. And if you do that, you'll do the right thing. Always. You'll never have to calculate. You'll never have to figure it out. You just love people. In whatever capacity you have and an opportunity you have. It's so easy to be a Christian. Because if we have received the love of Christ, then we share it. Because it's too much to hold on to just for ourselves. Amen? That's my message. Let's pray. Father, thank you. This is your word, Lord. My prayer is that what has been said would be um, supported and expounded by the Holy Spirit, Lord, in our hearts and souls. Man, there's so great a need out there in the world today, especially these last couple of years. We know what the statistics are saying, that people are lost. And we see it, Lord, in every way. Our prayer, Lord, is that this little church would have servants, true servants, modeled after the example of Christ. And then we will see you working through us in ways we never imagined. That's our prayer, Lord. Help us not to analyze. Help us not to carry burdens. But help us, Lord, to serve and to be compelled by the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. That motivates us. That, that serves as an impulse for us. It's your love, Lord, that sparks in our heart. That grows in ways we can ever imagine, Lord. Because then it is you who's doing the work through us. We thank you as we've seen before in these last few weeks. We are not the manufacturers of anything. We don't have to produce anything. We simply distribute what we already have. And we pray, Lord, that we do so freely. That we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. Set us free to do what? To serve. To love. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have our, uh, take our offering first, and then we're going to have some announcements. So God bless you, and um, don't forget Wednesday we have Bible study at 6. We'll be here in the fellowship hall. Amen.
Come on up. Who's going to help? Who else is helping us this morning? Oh, there's one over there. If you don't mind helping us with the offering, I can pray over it. Can we pray for the offering this morning? Uh, uh, precious Heavenly Father, thank you again for, for this time in your word. And now, Lord, we want to worship you in our giving. Father, we know that every good gift comes from above. That means everything we have, Father, is from your hand. Our prayer, Lord, is that we would take a little bit of the much you've given us and uh, offer it in our tithes and offerings Honoring you, Lord, and knowing, Father, that you will make every provision, not just for the church, but for our individual lives and families. We thank you. We ask you to bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.